How good is that? Cool stories? I want to invite everyone to the celebration tonight at the farm. We're going to celebrate some baptisms. Now, obviously, at the farm, it's outside. That, that's our, you know, better scenario where no matter how many people we've got, we, we got ample room to be able to spread out. Um, hopefully, that'll make it to where some folks that maybe couldn't otherwise be a part of it could be a part. We're making some adjustments this year. One is we're shortening the time. So we're not, not going to start till uh, about 7.30. So hopefully, that'll, that'll be, you know, a few degrees um, less. But sounds like some chance of rain, which I'm thinking means clouds. And that, that's fine. So we'll take all the shade that we can get. Uh, not doing the full spread of serving food. We're going to do like... like ice cream bars and popsicles and um, stuff that's already packaged. All you have to do is, is uh, you know, be able to, to reach and, and, and take it. Um, but all of that's worth it. Whatever adjustments we've got to make, it, it's worth it for this purpose, um, that we get to celebrate and we get to, to, to just, man, these are life-changing moments in people's lives. The, the imagery of, of baptism is a burial and a resurrection. Therefore, who is it actually magnifying? Jesus. That's right. B- baptism magnifies Jesus. In the Bible, baptism is, is always, it always follows a person's decision to follow Jesus. And, and it becomes this outward sign of a miracle that's taken place on the inside. God breathes new life into what was, for all of us, spiritually dead bones. And so that, that outward sign, literally when you're baptized, it is magnifying Jesus, the one who died and rose again. But the point is to say from this moment on, my life is going to become an outward expression of magnifying Jesus in everything that I can do. I want you to understand today, we magnify what matters most to us. We do. Baptism magnifies Jesus. That now my life will magnify Jesus. I want the world to know that Jesus matters most. We magnify what matters most to us. So the question I want to ask today, okay then, how do you know what matters most to you? How do you know? One of the ways I think it's clear, what do you talk about? How do you know what matters most to you? I can listen to what you talk about. And what you talk about will tell me what matters most to you. I want you to hear again when it comes to the prophet Ezekiel, listen to the words that were on his lips. In verse four, God said, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. When it comes to Ezekiel, what was on his lips was, was I want you to hear the word of God. We proclaim what we prioritize. We proclaim what we treasure most. We, we proclaim what matters the most to us. And so if you see an orange tree with oranges on it, you're not going to say, hey, check out the apple tree. No, 
Because you know that, that the fruit matches the tree. The fruit reveals what's in the tree. Well, what we're saying is our words do the same. Like fruit on a tree, our words reveal what's most important to our hearts. And so we talk about good restaurants and, and we talk about sports contracts and, and we talk about new bands, right, that we listen to. I want you to hear the words of those who were the early followers of Jesus. I want you to listen to this. Acts chapter 4, this is what it says in verse 18. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They said, look, you got to stop talking about Jesus or we're going to put you in prison. And they said, look, you, you got to, who do you think we're going to listen to? We're going to listen to God or we're going to listen to you? We just can't stop talking about what we've seen him, we've heard him, we know Jesus, and we're going to make him known. This world needs to know who Jesus is. We're going to magnify what matters most to us. Peter, John, the apostle Paul, the other people that you read about throughout the New Testament, have you noticed that whether they are free or whether they are in prison, they're talking about Jesus? Have you read those stories? So if God gives them a new day to live, they're figuring out where can I go today to tell some people about who this Jesus is who's changed my life. Every once in a while, the authorities will throw them in prison. Do you know what Peter and John and Paul and the rest, do you know what they do when they're thrown in prison? They tell the people in prison about who Jesus is. I want you to think about something here. If whatever you talk about most can be taken away, then whatever does the taking away will now become what you talk about most. What do you mean, Jeff? Here's what I mean. If your priority is entertainment or your priority is comfort or your priority is wealth or your priority is your health, if that's your priority that you talk about most, do you understand all that can be taken away? And if COVID does the taking then that becomes what you talk about most now. But if your priority is Jesus, he can never be taken away. That's what we celebrate here. If your priority is Jesus, nobody can ever take him away. So what happens in your life, whatever happens in your life, that simply becomes the new setting for you for you to talk about Jesus. If Jesus is not what you are currently talking about the most, I'm gonna tell you it's not COVID that caused that. 
COVID just replaced whatever it was you used to talk about most. When COVID took away what you talk about most, then you talk about COVID most. But if you talk about Jesus most, it won't matter whether there's COVID or no COVID, you will talk about Jesus to everybody you see. That's because you talk about what matters most. Now, come on, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be informed and we shouldn't be prepared when it comes to dealing with the issues like COVID. We should. But information and preparation don't have to become total obsession. Now, I've told you this before in Heart of Life, man, there are Christians on opposite ends of the spectrum regarding how we should approach all this. And here's what I'm saying. You should read God's word, and what do you think Jesus would do in the midst of this? Now, by the way, don't you dare tell people that if they trust Jesus, then they will not get sick. Because Jesus did not say that. And if you tell them that, you are not reading what we're reading. Jesus did not say, if you trust him, you won't get sick. That is dangerous to put words that Jesus did not say. But once you read God's word and you find out how Jesus would operate in the middle of all this, you do that. My point is just make sure you talk more about Jesus than you do about COVID. How many people in the last three months have you shared the gospel with? Because that's what matters most to us. There are some prophetic words that were written more than 70 years ago. A man by the name of C.S. Lewis, we quote him often, he lived in a day where the pressing reality for his culture was the atomic bomb. Um, Bombs had been dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so that, that still is ringing in the world's ears, and the fear of atomic technology was rampant. And these are the words that Lewis's, Lewis writes more than 70 years ago. I'm just, I'm gonna, it's a little bit long, but I want you to hear this. In, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you already live in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of raids, of railway accidents, of motor accidents. In other words, Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. It's perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. 
If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing our children, playing tennis, chatting to your friends over a drink and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. And he literally put this 70 years ago. A microbe can do that but they need not dominate our minds. Now look, the difference in an atomic bomb is you have absolutely no control over where that bomb and when that bomb drops. In our current circumstances with COVID, we have some choices that that we appear to be able to make that affects how that affects not only us, but the people around us. And I think that's what Jesus would call us to consider. C.S. Lewis would not encourage us to ignore the virus. He would not. But his point is the same. Whatever you're talking about most is what you're thinking about most is actually what you're about most. So the question is, what words are on your lips the most? And what Ezekiel reminds us today is that the words that give life are the words of the Lord. Let's keep rolling. How do you know what matters most to you? Well, what do you talk about? But second, where does your hope lie? Where where does your hope lie? That will tell you what matters most to you. Verse 11, verse 11 Here's how Ezekiel reads. He says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off now. We need to understand this story today and how this remarkable story of dry bones fits within the bigger story of what God's doing The the valley of bones in this story isn't just about your dead-end job or your dying relationship or whatever it else you're trying to convince God to bring back from the dead. This was specifically about Israel, God's people. And the context was thousands of years ago in an era of time that they were removed from their homeland. They They are exiles, therefore they were cut off. That's the language. And their determination is our hope is gone. And so what's being depicted here in this valley of death is is literally a picture of physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual state where, look, it says it's not just a valley of bones, but it was a valley of what kind of bones? Dry bones. Why the detail? Because the point is these bones are so dead There's nobody questioning whether or not they're dead. These bones are so dry, all hope of life is lost. And it wasn't as though Israel didn't have a chance to recognize where they were headed. But it took them going all the way down into this valley to realize they have been cut off. The imagery in Ezekiel takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Another exile took place, a decision in a garden, Adam and Eve. 
right, who made the decision to do life apart from God. And, and when they did, right, they were, they were cut off from the tree of life, that they were exiled from the garden. Well, Ezekiel, it's as though he's given a, a picture, a, a replay of this decision, an, an, an external picture, if you will, of an internal reality if you choose to do life apart from God. This is what life looks like. If God is the giver of life and you choose to do life without him, is it any surprise that you find yourself without life? And in the New Testament, we read in in the book of Ephesians that all of us, we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And so even though this story of Ezekiel is written long before us, we find the imagery of our own spiritual conditions dead when it comes to a life with God. Lifeless, dead, dry bones. All hope lost. And when you suddenly realize you're cut off, well, what's the choice? Where do you you find life? And when I was studying Ezekiel this week, my mind kept going back to, to, to Ecclesiastes several weeks ago, right? What did the writer of Ecclesiastes say? He said, well, we look for success and we search in fame and relationships and children and jobs and houses and money and politics and religion. You name it. We start looking everywhere for life. But we end up in the end in the very same valley, dry bones. So verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I think we we often look at Israel's story and we go, man, they stunk at following God. It's a good thing nobody ever looks at our story and goes, man, they stink at following God. No, we do. And if our record of being able to follow God perfectly is what qualifies us, then we are all in a valley. But over and over throughout the scripture and even repeated in the verses that I just read to you, I love the fact that God addresses them as my people. Did you catch that? My people. Yeah, they chose to try to do life without God, and he still calls them my people. You, you, you hear the, the tenderness, the compassion of his heart. You hear, you hear his love. And, and what is he saying here? Well, I, I'm just going to leave you there, right, rotting. No, he says, I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to raise you up. Way back in the Old Testament, we are getting imagery of, of a resurrection. I mean, years and years before, Jesus is going to put on skin and move into the neighborhood, going to die and rise from death. God is already saying, I'm going to raise you up. And in verse 14, he makes it really clear. 
He says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I'm convinced that's one of those statements in Scripture that if we really understood the depth of what that means, man, we would cheer every time we hear it said. That word spirit is the same word for breath. The same word for breath that is used back in Genesis chapter 1 when God says, I formed man from the dust of the earth, And then he did what? Breathed. Same word. Breathed into him life and he became a living being. God is using the same picture in in Ezekiel 37. He says, you know that breath that I breathed into you in the very beginning? I'm going to breathe it into you again. And you are going to live. The question is, where does your hope lie? Where are you seeking to give you life? Where you place your hope reveals what matters most in your life. In the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, Peter's talking to, to Christians who are experiencing a lot of persecution for following Jesus. He even refers to them as exiles. And in the middle of that little letter, he makes this most powerful challenge and statement. He says, always be ready to give an answer for the, do you know what the next word is? Hope. The hope that's in you. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. In other words, Peter's going, look, I know, I get it. Anytime you're living in this world, man, there are seasons that are harder than others. There are times that stuff hits you out of nowhere. There are moments that you're going to tend to feel overwhelmed. He goes, I know this is hard, but here's the key. You continue in this relationship with Jesus because he's the one who's breathing life into you. And you continue with this relationship with people around you who don't know Jesus so that in the middle of this crazy stuff, when people start to go, what in the world do you have? Like, how is it that you are able to be the way you are? Like, how can you possibly continue to live with hope in the middle of all that's going on? Then you magnify Jesus. Jesus is our hope. It is he who gets you through the valley. Do you delight in his delight in you? Where does your hope lie? Because that's what you magnify. One more time, asking the question, how do you know what matters most to you? Well, what do you talk about? Where does your hope lie? And who gets the credit? Who gets the credit? In the beginning of this story of dry bones, there's a question that God asked Ezekiel. Ezekiel, can these bones live? 
And I love the honesty of Ezekiel's response. Lord, you are the only one that knows the answer to that question. And come on, he's walking in a valley. It says God made him walk back and forth. Like, I want you to get a good look at this, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, Lord, there is no way that I can envision this valley bursting with life again. So God, I'm saying, God, you're the only one that knows. And what follows in this story is this growing of knowing. Ezekiel, I want you to know. And three times in the rest of this story, God's going to say, Ezekiel, this is what's going to happen. This valley is going to live again. These dead bones, they they are going to be raised once more. I I want you to see what God repeats three different times. Verse 6 says, I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Got it? Verse 13. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Like, okay, we got it. He's like, no, I don't think you got it. Verse 14. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and and, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. Three times, God repeats the same thing, right? Can these bones live? And our answer is, God, only you know. Because in Ezekiel's mind, there's no conceivable way that he could ever imagine this valley of dry bones standing once more as as a vast, vibrant, resurrected, living army. He cannot imagine it. I got a question for you. Are there any things in your life that the only possible way you could explain it was God's touch that apart from God you you would say with with only only God would let me do what I'm doing right now. Only God would let me live the way I'm living right now. Only God would enable me to think how I think or speak how I speak or hope how I hope or serve how I serve or forgive how I forgive or love how I love. Only God. Last uh, week, I received a gift when I came here to worship. I thought I would share it with you this week. It's pretty special. It reads, Pastor, because hardcore devil-stomping ninja isn't an official job title. I said thank you. 
I like it. Pastor, because hardcore devil stomping ninja isn't an official job title. I laughed. Still do. But there's a part of that that I take serious. Because it's like, I want to be a part of stuff. that impacts this world for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not the guy going around going, hey, let's take on, take on the enemy. That ain't my job. My job is not to pick fights with the enemy. My job is to walk with Jesus, and when the enemy fights, well, I'm walking with Jesus in this fight. But when you're a part of things that impact the kingdom of God, the enemy shows up, and there are fights that have to be fought. God three times in this story of Ezekiel is going, look, I'm, I'm doing this so that you will know that I am the Lord. My, my question is, when people are looking at our lives, is anybody saying, oh, wow, I get it now. Jesus is king. It's like, is the way that we live our life Leading people to a conclusion that goes, oh, so Jesus gives life. That's the point, magnifying him. He's the one worth talking about. Man, you talk about Jesus all the time. Oh, okay, he's the one who, who gives true hope to the world. He deserves all the credit. My question is, can anybody tell? When they look at us, do they see Jesus? Do they hear Jesus? Do they recognize Jesus? Who's getting the credit in our life, are we magnifying him? I think it's so unique in the detail of this story that it tells us that those dry bones rattle. That's just unique to me. Like you could have said there was dry bones and you could have said that God breathed life into them again, but he says very specifically, they rattled. And it's almost as if that rattle was the evidence that something is happening in this valley that can only be explained by the hand and the power of God. You get that? When you hear the rattle, it's like, okay, something's happening here now that none of us can explain. This has to be God. How long has it been since you have been involved in anything that required God's hand to pull it off? In other words, how long has it been since you've been involved in anything that required a rattle? Some of us never hear the rattle because we just pretty much approach life trying to avoid valleys with dry bones. <laughs> we don't like any circumstances that look like they're too dead. I'm not getting involved in that relationship. Not going to try to help that marriage. Not, not gonna, we don't want to get involved in anything that, that where, where there are dry bones. So, some, some of us, maybe it's just because we always assume that, that it's gone too far. That situation has gone too far. It, it, it's just impossible. How long has it been since you've been involved in anything that required God's hand 
to pull it off. But when it's all said and done, he gets the glory. But the rattle said something's happening here that's bigger than us. I got to tell you, I thought about it this week in my own life. There have been times that I have prayed for people to be healed. And I saw them healed. And there is no other way to explain what I saw. Only God could have done it. And when it happened, there's like sound. Rattling. I have also prayed for people to be healed. And they were not healed. I'm going to say this again. I have also prayed for people to be healed. And they were not healed. But in so many of those instances, I watched them walk out their pain in an unexplainable peace. I watched them walk with a power that even when they faced death, you could read it on their face, you could hear it in their words, there was no fear. And I'm telling you, in my heart, in those moments, I am awed by something that I think is so supernatural. Come on, you can't explain that. That's not something people can give to people. That is the rattling sound of a God who says, right here, I I'm doing something that nobody else can do. I, I, I thought back this week, there have been seasons that I have seen heart of life be so bold. I, I'm, I'm saying there have been seasons when things didn't make sense on paper, but we, we on our knees saying, God, will you give us territory? God, will, will, you, will you let us, God, move forward? And, and, and sometimes it's building in property. Sometimes it's been favor with people. I, I can tell you moments that I have suddenly found myself sitting across the table from someone and I'm suddenly realizing I didn't pursue them. I didn't arrange this, but oh God, the connection that you are about to set up here nobody could do this but you y'all when I think about our shelters for orphans around the world it's like are you serious the obstacles the barriers but God continues to do it in COVID I've been telling God God we need to get back to work you know what I'm saying? God, we need to go. God, we need to get this thing cleared up because we can't even get to them now. We can't get to the places in the world. Even God, we, we need to get back to work so we can see some, some, some more kids cared for. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, God dumps in our lap a brand new shelter in Taiwan. We haven't even put the promo together for me to show it to you yet. We'll show it to you in a week or two. I'm telling you, we've never had a shelter in Taiwan. It's always been the place that's kind of home base from which we go to all the others. We didn't go to Taiwan this time, but God is just going, I got this. And you don't even have to be there for me to do something that shows you that I can do what nobody else can do.
Y'all, from a personal standpoint, my son, my son being my son was a battle unlike anything I have ever engaged in my life. And there is nothing about that whole scenario that says this should work. But there came a moment when there was a rattling sound and God connected some dots that should never have been connected. And he's my son. My life, my wife's life, my three children's lives, we all belong to Jesus. And I'm telling you, I don't give eternal life to anybody. Only God does that. When I see those pictures of them being baptized, my, it's a rattling sound in my soul of God saying, I got it. I got it. There is nothing that is impossible. I challenge you to recognize tonight when each of those people are stepping into the water. I pray that you hear in your soul a rattling sound of God saying, these were dry bones, but I came to you, my people, and I'm going to breathe life into you that you will live again. My question is, how long has it been since you have heard the rattle in your life that represented the fact that you were willing to say, God, I will step into those valleys. I will speak your word as you called me to speak. And I will trust that you can do what nobody else can do. You bring life even from death. How long has it been since you've heard a rattle.